Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And dear Vivian, this one's for you. Many, many years ago, um, about 2002, 9-11 was still very fresh in our minds, when I attended a lecture given at Stanford University by a member of the former Clinton State Department. And although his training had been in Eastern Europe and the Slavic countries, he had been sent in the way of politics to become an expert in the Middle East. And so that day he came to deliver us a message as to why the Muslims were so angry at us. Now whenever I'm going to tell a story about anything, before I get to sentence number three, my husband always interrupts me with the answer. And he said, well of course they were angry at us. We were out being imperialist policemen and bullying everybody around. And you know, if that had been what the man had said in his lecture, I wouldn't be sharing it with you today. We don't need to hear what everyone knows. But that was not what he said. What he said was a great deal more troubling. And it began that although we are told that the conflict as existed at the time was a religious one. And we can all remember that uh, at that time we, it was very difficult to be religious because we were being blamed for so much. But this speaker said no, it was not religious, it was economics. The Muslim nations, he explained, were stuck in a backwards economy. Stuck in agriculture, which limited their ability to advance. And the reason that agriculture limits you is that agriculture itself has limits. You cannot, in an agricultural economy, go beyond the carrying capacity of the land. You need a lot of people to bring in a crop. And the other thing is, is that your product could possibly die or be withered or something like that before it got to market, unlike industrial products which are immortal. And then he went on to say that we, who were industrial, were limited by nothing at all. Only our imaginations could say how far we could go, and that was why the backward Muslims were so angry at us. Well, I'm sitting there in the audience getting most upset indeed, because to pay no attention to the carrying capacity of the earth is to flirt with things a great deal more dangerous than crop failure. I am the vine, you are the branches. The readings for the Sunday after each Easter all teach one thing, and you might think that that one thing is resurrection, but it isn't. The one thing that the readings after Easter teach us is that we have no life at all unless we abide in God. To abide in God 
reminds us of something called absolute dependence, which is a phrase that uh, our Savior parishioner Sally Thomas just loved to distraction. When we studied absolute dependence in EFM together, she said, yes, that is it, that's all I need to know. And so in Sally's honor, after many years of her post as youth director, I wanted to say a little bit about absolute dependence. It was coined by a German theologian named Frederick Schleiermacher, considered by many to be the founder of the theology with which we still live today. Way back in 1799, Schleiermacher delivered a series of lectures with the very colorful title, On Religion, to its cultured despisers. Schleiermacher came along in a moment in European history when the Industrial Revolution was just beginning to unhinge Western civilization from any idea of God. We remember, and all of us who are educators, remember Rene Descartes, who said that it was the brain and not God that made us human. And taking that beautiful biblical phrase that God, God is I am, that's what God said to Moses at the burning bush, Descartes turned it around and said, I think, therefore I am, setting the stage for a vast human detachment from God, which in the instinctive way of the moment, Schleiermacher was coming to heal. And absolute dependence for him was a step above the idea of I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am was simply more perception through very erroneous human sen senses. And Schleiermacher said, the baby is instinctive, the young person is sensual, but the mature person has God consciousness in which all comes back together again in absolute dependence upon God. Now this is a very beautiful teaching and it's one that prays incredibly well. It is a teaching that if you abide in it, as the branch abides in the vine, it'll get you through a whole lot of difficult situations. But, in the spirit of the time, Schleiermacher's teaching was taken up by only half of Europe. Europe was dividing itself along interesting lines with the rationalists over here with the brain and the romantics over here who elevated feeling, spirituality, a love of nature, and human participation in a greater cycle. And romantic theology gave us the great gift that God's love is much stronger than God's judgment. If you go back before the romantic movement, it was sinners in the hands of an angry God and all of that intolerable stuff. And the romantics unpacked it correctly. Abide in love. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Oh, I wish that all of Europe could have heard that. Because what happens when fear wins? What happens when we are reduced to a brain? We become very, very divided. And you see 
going back to rationalism's kind of unlimited sense of itself. I think, therefore I am. Therefore, since I can think about it, I am limited only by my imagination and my ability to generate ones and zeros on a computer. There is no limit to who I am. And yet, what the whole message of God, the whole message of Christ, and of the path of faith is to help us live in a world where there are limits, and by love, not by cleverness, to transcend them. And if we can live within our limits, teaches Jesus, we will live forever. But if we don't, we will die. And here is where we run into the real problem. And it's a problem that I have struggled to understand and everybody around me has struggled to understand as well. And we touched on it in the Pascha Nostrum that we read right before the Gospel. And that is, is that somehow our view of death got all mixed up with our view of sin. And Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, and it's what's being quoted or paraphrased in the Pascha Nostrum, is that just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, etc., etc., etc. So instead of seeing death as a door, as a transition, as part of the endless cycle of change that is God's creation, we came to see it as punishment. And so the whole quest was to try and defeat death as much as we possibly could, that we could prove our virtue by living to the absolute last moment of our capacity rather than engaging our limits. Now the fact is, and you actually can find this if you are, as you know, strange about studying the scriptures as I am. You can go digging around in there and you'll discover that there are two deaths that are taught about in the whole sacred story. And the first is the death that we all die. Going through the door that our embodied life comes to an end and we cycle into a new existence closer to God, a more spiritual existence where all the wisdom, that's what we can take with us. We can't take any of our stuff, we can't take any of that, but we can take all the love we have given, we can take all the wisdom that we have achieved, that comes with us. And we all go through that door. And in our materialistic society, we confuse that door with death. That isn't death. What is death is what comes after. It's when God takes a look at all of our branches, and if we haven't borne fruit, if we haven't lived for others, if we haven't made a contribution to the great dance that is truth, then the universe says, yeah, we don't need you. You are not part of the dance. And this is where, this is where ecology is perhaps the most important theological thing that we can think about now. And isn't it cool that the most important thing we can think about theologically is also our crisis? Um, and so I'm going to end, I'm going to come down from the pulpit because I'm, I'm a school teacher. And you know, school teachers always have visuals. And um, one of the things you were probably taught in school, because we still live in that world of Descartes and the brain and progress and all of that, is that the genius of our civilization was that we don't go around in circles. 
We go in a line. We progress forward to something. Now this is not only kind of scary because we don't know where we're going, it's also rather delusional because it suggests that we can move forward and leave everything behind. Well, we can't. We can leave nothing behind. It all comes with us. And nature doesn't give us a line. Nature gives us a spiral. And there's a very cool book. And in the whole science and religion movement, we're grooving on the universe right now. And there is this very cool book called Journey of the Universe in which physicist and Christian Brian Swim says, the most creative shape that we have been given is the spiral. And the spiral, it not only by moving generates new stars, if it happens to be a galaxy, it also gives us a chance to revisit the same questions again and again and again, but with more wisdom. Because all the people who have gone before us have thought about these same questions, and their wisdom is a gift to us. And so if we think of life as a spiral, it goes, it goes ahead. And our own Earth recapitulates that with the circle. And I found this diagram in a science book, A Natural History of California. And I, it's the most deeply religious image that I have ever found. And it is about nothing more than the nutrition cycle of our planet. You know how the sun gives us heat and light and the earth generates gases and water and clouds and that all of this makes possible plants and that plants feed animals and that animals feed other animals and everything on the planet if it's healthy nourishes everything else and that's pretty obvious that where this gets so spiritual is at the center because all, all life generates some waste. No closed system is totally closed. And that's the message of the spiral. It's a circle, but it's not a closed circle. This isn't a closed circle either. And so all along the path, waste is generated. And the question is, what kind of waste is being generated? If it's healthy waste, there's a whole lot of little decomposers here in the middle that turn what was rejected over here into new life, into new grass, into new animals, into new everything. If it's poisonous waste, like so much of our industrial waste, it, it just sits there in the circle, at the center of the circle, and is dead. Now all of this may seem just so, so obvious to all of us here, I will end with a wonderful story. I teach this in my classes, and I bring it to the children, and I say, we can do it. We can have an amazing life together. We can grow as long as we follow these rules. That's your task, is to learn how to figure out these rules. And remember, we are judged by our ways. So a little kid is looking at this, and suddenly, literally, leaps out of his chair and says, Chaplain Luther! This means that we'll never die, doesn't it? And I said, you're right. You've got it. That's the whole message. We will never die. Vivian, my dear, joyous, happy friend, this one's for you. Amen.
This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.